Sports Talk New York with your hosts, Mark Rosenman and A.J. Carter. Sports Talk New York is sponsored in part by Prince Associates for all your insurance needs, the Phoenix Tube Company, the law firm of Declator Cohen and DePrisco, Solomon Jewelers, and General Needs Charity, serving our homeless veterans with dignity. And now, here are your hosts, Mark and A.J. Joining us now is the man who holds a record for most points all time of any NHL player who also played NCAA hockey. His NHL career spanned 19 seasons in which he was a premier playmaker in the league. His career total of 1,079 assists was the fifth highest total in NHL history at the time of his 2004 retirement. In 2017, he was named one of the 100 greatest NHL players in history. After retiring as a player, he served as an assistant coach for the Tampa Bay Lightning and New Jersey Devils prior to joining the Capitals as their head coach for two seasons between 2012 and 2014. He is now the CEO of Oats Sports Group and leads a team dedicated to making hockey players better, stronger, and smarter. Some of his clients include James Van Riemsdyk, Mark Scheifele, Steven Stamkos, and Jack Eichel. It is a pleasure to welcome NHL Hall of Famer Adam Oates to WLIE Sports Talk New York. Welcome, Adam. Hey, thanks very much. How are you doing? Our pleasure. Absolutely a a pleasure and an honor. You know, your road to the NHL and the Hockey Hall of Fame, for that matter, is not the typical path, as you played both hockey and box lacrosse. As a kid, you even liked lacrosse better. You played five seasons with the Eclipse of the Ontario Lacrosse Association. Your total of 181 points in 19 games in 1981 was the 11th highest total ever in OLA junior history at the time. Uh, what made you decide between the two? You left lacrosse at 22 to focus on hockey. Why, with all the success in lacrosse, did you choose hockey? You know, I, I grew up in a neighborhood of Toronto, uh, Canada, where like, lacrosse was kind of the hot, the hot spot of the time. Obviously, we played hockey as well, but lacrosse was hot in that neighborhood. And then, you know, you, you keep growing up, you play both sports, and I ended up getting a scholarship for hockey. And, you know, obviously my father and I talked and just said, you know, lacrosse is a fantastic game, but, you know, there, there's no no life after college. So it makes more sense just to focus your attention on hockey, and, and that's, that's what I did. You know, we mentioned in the Open that you're one of the NHL's great playmakers, and the roots of that maybe come from your father, who you just mentioned, and his love of Stanley Matthews, considered one of the greatest soccer players of all time. One of your lessons, the lessons that your dad passed on to you, was if you can be unselfish, your teammates will always like you. And obviously that, that's very true, but how difficult is it to do that? And do you need to have a certain personality or mindset to be able to think pass first as opposed to shoot first? Yeah, I think a little bit. Um, you know, and it was kind of our family mantra from the beginning. You know, uh, my dad was from England, and they came over uh, – when uh, my mother was pregnant with me and, you know, so my father knew nothing about hockey, obviously, you know, started to, to like it, our sport. And then, you know, when I was playing, you know, Stanley Matthews was his idol and, you know, soccer is a control game. So it was all about controlling and distributing the puck to your line mates. And uh, that was kind of our, our family motto. So it kind of turned into it. It's interesting because you played two full seasons and parts of a third with the Junior A Markham Waxers of the Ontario Provincial Junior A Hockey League. You scored 89 points in 43 games in 80-81, 159 points, including 105 assists in 81-82. Yet you go unselected in the NHL entry draft. Many scouts had considered you either too slow and maybe your size for the NHL. Were you surprised that given those numbers that you were not on anyone's radar in the NHL? 
Yeah, you know what? At that age, I was heartbroken, right? It's just one of those things where um, what do you got to do? I mean, I know I was a slow skater, but it's one of the things I've told people all, all the time. You know, like Wayne Gretzky, he just didn't get good in the NHL. Like He won the scoring every year of his life, right? And, you know, so did I. So it was one of those things where um, I got points my whole life. So even though I was slow, how come no one wanted to take a chance on maybe – that there's a diamond in the rough there. So at that time, yeah, for sure, devastating. Does that somehow, you know, develop almost like a chip on your shoulder? I mean, we, we spoke to Marty St. Louis, similar situation where, you know. Very he, similar. He, you know, does that develop, you know, does that motivate you even more so? I would say, yeah, for sure. And obviously the respect of some of the hockey minds, you start to question. Um, you know, it, uh, Marty's a great example because very similar story. And turns out to be one of the, you know, an absolute fantastic player in our game, right? right? And it just goes to show you that there are mistakes made out there. Um, scouts don't, always, you know, always get a lot, of, a lot of opportunities to see guys, and it's definitely something for parents to use as encouragement. That, you know, what whether you're a little small, a little slow, a little whatever, if you work on something, you can grow into this game. It's interesting because not only mistakes made, but sometimes when scouts are, are places to see a certain player they see a, a different player, and, and that's true in your case. RPA's assistant coach, Paul Allen, noticed you during a game at the 82 OPJAHL game while scouting a different player, and he offered you a position on the school's team. Do you remember that conversation with Coach Allen? And at that point in your life, how realistic of it was a goal to still make the NHL and the opportunity to play at RPI you know, to further that dream? You know what? I, I remember I was, it's one of those moments in your life, I do remember it, and where I was, that kind of thing, and, you know, a college scholarship was not on my radar at all, like, you know, I was a Toronto boy, I wanted to play junior hockey, and it wasn't happening, and then all of a sudden, he, we have this conversation, and then the head coach came in a couple of weeks later, and, you know, I mean, talk about the break of your life, it really, truly was, I, you know, I, I got a chance to get, to further my career, get a scholarship, and I met a coach, Mike Odessa, who, you know, for me is probably the smartest man I ever met in hockey. That's interesting that you mentioned him because uh, you you excel there. You break your own school records in your final season by re- uh, recording 60 assists, 91 points. You're a finalist that year for the Hobie Baker Award as a top hockey player in the NCAA. In your three years with RPI, the engineers recorded an 85-19-1 record, won the ECAC championships in 84 and 85. You're voted to ECAC all-decade team of the 80s. You're inducted to the RPI's Athletics Hall of Fame, named the inaugural member of the hockey team's Ring of Honor. What did you learn about yourself as a hockey player under Mike Odessa at RPI? And when you mentioned one of the smartest hockey men you've ever seen, we're now finally seeing a trend where guys from the NCAA are moving to the pro ranks in hockey. What about him was so special as a coach? You know, you know what? He's, he was the first person in my life that really taught me hockey. You know, you grow up, you play, you survive, uh, you turn into a good player, that kind of thing, and then you go to college and everybody there is a good player. It's just another level. And, and you know, everybody responds differently to coaches, right? And that's something I've learned in my life. And and he was what I really needed at that time in my life. And uh, you know what? For, for me, he was a very intelligent man. He put systems together. He, he taught me the math of the game, which I still I teach it to this day. You know, I, I really, really uh, learned that off him. And, I, you know, it's, it's one of the things that 
took me to another level. You know, NHL teams then took interest in you following your junior season. Five teams attempt to sign you. You forgo your final year of college eligibility. Signed that four-year, $1.1 million contract with the Red Wings that made you the highest-paid rookie in the NHL in 85-86. And this I find extremely interesting. Before your rookie year in the NHL, your dad made you a Wayne Gretzky highlight tape to t- study. Now, for yeah. those of you who are watching us on you know, uh, SportsCast or are listening to us, this was 1985. You couldn't do this yeah. on your Commodore 64 computer. Uh, no when you YouTube, wa- no, uh, no. No, when you no, wanted to make a highlight tape, you physically yes, yes. had to take you know, game tape and, and go to another deck and splice and edit. Um, he was able to stitch together a bunch of Gretzky highlights onto a Betamax tape. What did you learn from that tape, and how often did you watch that tape before your rookie season? You know what? I, I watched that for a few years, and... I watched it that summer, I'm telling you, 50 times. And for the longest time, I couldn't understand what I was seeing. And, and to this day, when you watch a, a goal scored in our game, a lot of people don't understand what happens on that goal. And, and you know what? I, I watched Gretz. He was my idol. Uh, he was the best. And, you know, you just watch and watch and watch. And then little subtleties trickled in that I would go and try and practice, Right. And quite honestly, uh, it became my career in a sense. It's one of the, it's one of the biggest regrets of my life. I don't know where that tape is. <laughs> it, you know, it'd be interesting if somehow. I mean, now it's probably a lot easier to recreate that. But yeah. again, it, it's always you know go where the puck is not, and and you know that's what Wayne always did. Yeah. He was always where the puck and, is going to be, going to be exactly. Yeah, um, but and that's one of the things we'll get to a little later with what you're doing now about how you can teach that. Um, you make your NHL debut October 10, 1985, against the Minnesota North Stars. You score your first of 341 career goals against Don Prey, added your first of your career 1,079 assists. What do you remember most about that first game, your first professional game as a Red Wing, and, and you know that first goal? Well, you know what? It, was, uh, it actually was the first goal of the season for the team. You know, you're a rookie, you're at the ne- another level. And, you know, it's overwhelming. I was playing with Ron Dugay and John O'Gronick. Steve Eisman was there. And you're not sure if you belong. And, you know, it was just circumstance, quite honestly, that I happened to be in the right spot at the right time. And I get the, you know, the first goal of the season. It was my own. It was my first goal. And, you know, it was a great game. And then, you know, the world came crashing to a halt right after that. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't get a sniff for about another two months. And I get sent to the minors. So, it, uh, it, was, it was a short-lived, uh, exciting moment. It's interesting because uh, a friend about the show who's been on a couple of times, uh, Doug Shedden, was on that team as well. And I texted him and asked him what he remembered about your rookie year. And he, he you know, instantly knew that you belonged in the NHL. And he, he, he points to probably one of the worst trades in Red Wing history. Uh, you improve each of your four seasons in the NHL as a Red Wing, and you're part of a trade that, like we said, biggest deal in NHL history. After the 88-89 season, uh, Red Wings, and you and Paul McClain are traded to the Blues for Bernie Federko and Tony McKechnie. Within a year, Federko's retired, and McKechnie's traded away again. St. Louis, you, while playing online with Brett Hull, quickly gained the reputation as one of the NHL's premier passing centers. You establish yourself as the number one setup man for Brett Hull. You guys are dubbed Hull and Oates, uh, play on the band Hull and Oates. You know, you know, I'm wondering if 
sometimes is just instant chemistry between two players or it was something that had to develop because you guys just was such a great fit. You seemed to know where he would be, when he would be there. Is that something that you guys had to practice? Well, obviously, you had to practice, but is some of that also just innate that there's just an instant chemistry? It was. You know, I'm not going to lie, it was instant. Um, from on the ice, off the ice, personalities, we're both very sarcastic guys. Uh, we're both kind of mouthy guys. He's he's a little different than me in some ways when it comes to that. But but in terms of like getting along, like I I couldn't tell you how uh, awesome it was. And then on the ice, you know, like our, our styles were perfect for each other. And you know what? That uh, it was absolutely a fantastic run for a few years. Absolutely was. With you as his center, Brett Hall scored 72 and 86 goals those seasons. 86 is the third highest in a single season total in NHL history. His two and a half seasons with you were the best in his NHL career. Yet on February 7th, 1992, you're on the move again, this time to the Bruins. Were you surprised given that success? I mean, very few tandems get to that level that you were traded. No, you know what? It... um... We're talking 89, right? Uh, or sorry, 91. And, and you know, the, the St. Louis Blues were in a little bit of a financial situation. So a lot of teams in the league were uh, not a lot of stability. And what people don't realize is back then, you know, I, I had a great year and I didn't own a house, right? So it, it really, you know, especially after getting traded from Detroit, it's a business. It turns into a business um, and you treat it as such. And, as, you know, obviously it devastated me to leave Brett, but it was one of those things where it was a financial decision. Now, your best season uh, came in your first full year in Boston. Rick Bonus is replaced as head coach by Brian Sutter, who coached you in St. Louis. You led the league with 97 and finished third in overall scoring with 142 points. It's interesting to note that under Sutter, in a five-year period between 89 and 94, you're the second highest point producer in the NHL. Your average of 114 points per season over that time was second only to Wayne Gretzky's 124. So was there something about Coach Sutter's systems that enabled you to excel or the way he kind of saw your talent and molded his system to benefit you? Why such the success under that particular coach? Uh, you know what? Uh, yes to both answers. You know, it was one of those things where um, when I got to St. Louis with Brett and Brian, we were at an age where, you know, he trusted us, we trusted him, we, we grew together, uh, he was good for us, he understood our strengths and weaknesses, and then I get moved, and a year later he gets fired and hired right away with the Boston, and there we are again. So for me it was great, right? Like it was just, this guy knows me to a T, he knows what I respond to, and I just got to continue playing. March 1st, 1997, after 368 highly productive games with the Bruins, you're traded to the Washington Capitals. As a member of the Caps, you became the 47th man in NHL history and the 15th fastest to score 1,000 career points. Uh, October 7, 1997, against the Islanders, you reached that milestone by scoring a hat trick, adding two assists uh, for the sixth five-point game of your career. The Caps reached the 1998 Stanley Cup Finals, which up until this season was the only Finals appearance in franchise history. You beat your former team, the Bruins, in the first round and lost to your first team, the Red Wings, in the Finals. What was your first Stanley Cup Final experience like, and what did you learn as a player as what it takes from a, an individual and a team standpoint to make it that far? 
you know, you need a little bit of luck. I, I think that's, I think when you look at a lot of teams in history, you know, uh, you need that little bit of luck to finally get it there. You know, Washington this year. You think about Detroit Red Wings and Steve Eisenman. You know, there's a few years there where they were the best team and didn't get it done. Then all of a sudden they figured it out and won three in a row. Uh, for us, uh, for myself, it was the first time where it just happened. And, you know, every year you go into the playoffs, you want to play good. You don't want to lay an egg. And, you know, some series you play great, some series you struggle. You're always trying to figure out why. It's not an easy answer. Uh, getting there was fantastic. And it's funny because I remember we beat Buffalo in game six. And two days later, we're playing our first game, and I was awful. It was, it's amazing how when you go to the next level, every single time something's different. You know, like the first time you play against Tiger Woods in golf, you struggle. You know, it's just one of those things where the 10th time you play against them, you're probably not so bad. The nerves affect you, right? And it was one of those things where even though it was only two days later, I wasn't the same. I, I struggled in game one. Game two, I ended up getting a goal and got, kind of got my act together. And then it was a little bit better from that. But, you know, that team was way better than us. I don't know if we really believed it. Um, we, we played a couple good games uh, that could have maybe – made the series a little different, and we lost those moments of, uh, of you know, like Hopi saved the other night. That's, I mean, <laughs> how, how do you measure that save, right? right. Maybe Vegas wins and it's 2 nothing, and who knows, right? So that's, there are moments like that in the playoffs. Absolutely. You know, six years with the Caps, uh, Washington out of contention late in 2001, 2002, your contract expiring, you're an unrestricted uh, free agent, so they move you to Philadelphia. The following season, as a free agent, you sign with the Anaheim Ducks. You then make it to the Stanley Cup Finals, uh, uh, losing in a seven-game thriller against the Devils. Uh, it's also the rookie year for a head coach who has gone on to be recognized as one of the greatest coaches in today's game, and Mike Babcock. What makes Mike such a good coach, and what did you learn from him in that second Stanley Cup final? You know what, Mike, Mike is a guy that I would say of this generation of coaches uh, really came out into the coaching world with systems. You know, like we all had systems, but I think it became an, it's gone to another level. We've turned into football with our systems, right? And Mike is one of the guys that you know, came out of where he was, to, and, and not, I'm not going to say started it, but was definitely that generation of coach. And our team was very well coached. We were, we were very, very organized guys. And, and, uh, excuse me, and, and you know what? We, we figured it out. We played well. Jaguar was, you know, took us to another level. Um, and, and you know what? Uh, our team had an incredible run to losing game seven. It was fantastic. You know, I know we lost. It was still a fantastic run pretty good run when the goaltender of the losing team in the Stanley Cup wins the most valuable player for sure. Uh, You retire the following season after one season with the Edmonton Oilers and in 2012 you're selected into the induction for the Hockey Hall of Fame. We mentioned how you went undrafted and how that gives you maybe a chip on your shoulder and we equated it to Marty St. Louis another guy who's ended up in the Hall of Fame. What did that particular moment making the Hall of Fame being undrafted, did it add extra significance to you? What did that moment mean? Well, I can't say I thought of you know not being drafted at the time. You know, to be to be lucky enough to, lucky enough to play our game for a long, long time, and to be given that honor is just is just incredible. You know, you you want to play in the NHL, and I wanted to play since I was five years old, and just to be able to play the game and play a long time is fantastic. 
and then you know to be able to play a long time and get that honor is just a, it's just icing on the cake. In case you're just tuning in with speaking to Hall of Famer Adam Oates. After playing days, you coached both as an assistant and a head coach. Your fingerprints were all over the NHL playoffs uh, this particular season. Tampa Bay Lightning and Washington Capitals still run your power plays. Lou Lamorello said this about you. He's very communicative, very intelligent. He explains things very well. He has a resume behind him as a player and having the sex success he has had, all the credentials are there for having the kind of respect the players have for him. You've now taken those skills and now brought them to Oates Sports Group, which is a boutique hockey agency that has one mission, to make players better. We mentioned in the open the client list includes uh, James Van Riemsdyk, Mark Scheifele, Steven Stamkos, and Jack Eichel. So tell us a little bit more how you decided to get into this particular business. You know what, quite honestly, I love coaching. I really did. Um, I got let go from the Devils, and... You know, once you've had that taste of being a head coach, you're not necessarily ready to be an assistant right away. And I thought I'd wait a little bit and see if I got on that kind of carousel the way to see the phone ring. And that summer I watched LeBron James in the finals, and they showed uh, a guy in the stands that was his skills coach. Not one of his coaches, somebody that he works on away from the arena on his skills. So I thought about it, and I called some of the guys that I coached, like Steven Stamkos, Zach Parisi, and I said, what do you think about doing something like that? And they, they said, yeah, let's try it. And since that day, it's just been uh, growing and growing and growing. You know, it's just another opportunity to teach. Uh, I really love it. The guys love it. Um, it's, it's making them better. That's, that's the only goal is to make these guys better, whether you're a seventh defenseman or a 13th forward. Um, there's, there's more room for growth. Uh, from the superstars down to the guys that are just trying to, you know, keep get another contract. And, I, you know, and because of that, I, I took my name off the coaching carousel, and it's been three years now, and it's grown and grown. And, it's, uh, you know what, I, I still love it. I get on the ice almost every single day with the guys. And you're just working, quite honestly, on little tiny details, uh, things that uh, when a player bobbles a puck, why, you know, going back for a puck, uh, how you handle it. Uh, making a great pass, you know, all the little things that can happen in our game. And uh, it's, uh, it's a lot of fun, quite honestly. So here, here's what's interesting for me, because you, we, when we spoke about Mike Babcock, you said that he was the first coach that kind of brought in systems. So while Oates Sports Group also handles contract negotiation, concierge service, marketing partnerships, and mentorship, the cornerstone of the business is the ability to make players better through dedicated skill development, on-ice private coaching, off-ice tape analysis, all of which enhances a player's uh, IQ. So Max Pacioretty said this about working with you. Since the first time I spoke with Oatsy, I knew there was no one in the world that saw the game like him. Every time we talk or we get on the ice, I know that I have improved as a hockey player. I have so much more confidence knowing that I have the smartest hockey mind in the world helping me improve my game. I am addicted to trying to become a better hockey player, and I know working with Adam Oates is the best way to do that. So now I have to imagine that what you're doing is harder than being a head coach because you're working now with a player, let, let's take Max, for example, um, who during the time that you've worked with him has played under two different coaches, Michelle Therrion and Claude Julien. They might have different systems. So how do you get Max to be the best player he could be but adapting to his team's particular style of play? Well, that, that, you know, that's the best question, and that's, uh, that is uh, the question that everybody asks. You know what? When we work, we don't we don't work on anything that involves a system. For example, a, a defenseman that has to go back for a puck, 
there's a guy chasing him. That puck's bouncing. That puck's against the boards. That puck's off the boards. He's coming on a certain angle. How is he going to use his stick to collect that puck and get the net where that guy can't close on him? That's all we work on. I don't tell the guy how to play. I don't tell the guy which way to decide to turn. I try and give him every possibility that he can turn both ways and how fast can he pick up that puck under control. All we talk about is how our game's getting bigger, faster, stronger, right? Right. So doesn't it make more sense for that guy to get back for the puck and get it under control faster? You know what? If you look at the third goal last night that Devontae Smith-Pelly scored, Theodore, the defenseman, bobbled the puck. So for a split second, he bobbled the puck. I work with that guy so that he doesn't. That's all. I don't tell him where he has to play that puck. That's his coach's system. I try and help that guy make it so that he never bobbles the puck in any situation. You know, when you're, when you're dealing with accomplished players as opposed to you know, novices or college players or high school players. Or fourth-line players. The difference yeah, between yeah. a first-line and a fourth-line yeah. player. How, how surprised are you at their level of knowledge, what they do and don't know? Uh, I'm not surprised because I played, so I know. <laughs> I remember, it's funny because, like I said, Brett Hall and I were sarcastic. Like, we would be in a game, and a guy would uh, miss a guy for an open net. And one of us would kind of go, nice pass. And then the other guy would go, well, how can you make that play with that stick? Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> and, and it was gone out of our minds, right, where when the more you talked about it, there's so many little things the guys can still improve. You know, there are, like, when you think about our game, there's guys making 10 million bucks and there's guys making 600 grand. So that on itself proves that not everybody has the same talent level. Right. It's, you know? a, it's interesting because another one of your players that I'm so happy that has merged as one of the NHL stars is Mark Scheifele. He was part of my shootout book years ago before he became a superstar, and he's such a great guy. There's a great piece on him in The Athletic by Pierre Lebron in which you're quoted. My favorite thing for him is positionally because one thing you'll hear about great players, let's use Jonathan Taze as an example, the puck always follows him. Sidney Crosby, the puck always follows him. Well, there's a reason why. It's a combination of skill and IQ and how you play your position. Positionally, I would say Mark has gotten better and better all the time. All three zones, where he goes, how he finds a location, how he supports, how fast he makes a play, how fast he makes a decision. So how much of that is instinct and how much of that can be taught? Um, I think a lot can be taught. Uh, how much is tough to quantify. Um, you know, I don't want to take credit for it because these guys are in the NHL. They're in the NHL before they met me. That's how good they are, right? We're talking great players. But there's still lots of room for growth. Every single night, nobody plays perfect. So sometimes it's fatigue. Sometimes it's decisions. Sometimes it's uh, a little bit of mentoring. Sometimes it's a skill, a particular skill that we've worked on and maybe they're getting a little lazy with. So there's a drill to do. There's tons of little things that you can do to be sharp. But, you know, it's funny. Like, uh, I remember talking to Steve Eisenman at the Top 100. If you think about that room, all those guys in that room had to produce, and all those guys in that room had to play a long time. So, like, what I said about Jonathan Taze, about the puck that follows guys, they're usually the healthiest guys, too. Because they know how to control their body, be in the right spot, turn correctly, uh, read a situation correctly, and this is all we work on. What's been the most rewarding part of working individually with players at the Oats Sports Group for you? 
Uh, probably two things. Number one, I don't have kids. So when a guy has a good game or makes a good play, I feel like a proud dad. So that's, that's I mean, I can't tell you how rewarding that is when someone, uh, you know, like Mark Shifley just set a record in our league. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so I mean, think about that. League's 100 years old. He just set a playoff record, uh, which, you know, I, like, like I feel like a proud dad. You know, like, I mean, that, that's absolutely fantastic. So I love that, and I love seeing the guys get better. I, I really do. And, and I also love the fact that I have these relationships. I got I got 200 guys in my phone that call me or text me. That's a that's a great feeling. It's pretty awesome. So back in the day, a dad could make a Betamax highlight tape of a Hall of Fame hockey player. Now they can send them to a, a Hall of Fame hockey player. Uh, where can people find out information about the the Oats Sports Group players that are on the cusp of the NHL or players that want to to you know or there are teams that do seminars with you as well. Where can they find out the information about the the Oats Sports Group? Uh, you know, I guess online would be the best way to do it. Um, uh, you know, my business has always been word of mouth. And because the, the one thing that I, that I really believe is I want a player to call me. I don't want to chase a player down. Like there's like right now when I watch the NHL, there's probably 10 guys that I'm dying to work with that I think I could really help. But I think it's got to be the other way around that they have to call me because then a player is really interested. Where... You know, because my arrangement with them is a, is a certain arrangement, and they've got to be into it. Um, so I like it that way. They get a hold of me. Awesome, Adam. Thank you so much for your time tonight. We really appreciate it. And when I see Coach Quinn up in uh, Westchester, I'm going to just uh, maybe put a, a little uh, name in his ear. A couple of players <laughs> might uh, partake. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. NHL Hall of Famer Adam O.